Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 14th of March 2021. Becky Mills speaking on Pulling the Plug on Climate Change. I hope you've been enjoying our Lenten Carbon Fast series and found all the practical ideas we discussed about reducing waste and changing our eating habits helpful. This week is Energy Week and I've entitled my talk Pull the Plug on Climate Change. Over the past 171 years, human activities have raised atmospheric concentrations of CO2 by 48% above the pre-industrial levels found in 1850. In 2020, Europe saw its warmest year on record at 1.6 degrees centigrade above the 1981 to 2010 average. The destructive effects of climate change are everywhere. If we've not taken dramatic action within the next decade, we could face irreversible damage to the world and the collapse of our societies. The goal the world needs to achieve is net zero emissions by 2050. That means that with, for example, planting trees and other technologies and schemes to reduce CO2, we will be balancing CO2 emissions with carbon removal. Some of you may be wondering how discussion of our energy use can possibly be a suitable topic for a sermon. So I thought it might be helpful to begin with a discussion of the theological framework so that none of you are left in any doubt as to the relevance of energy use to our Christian lives. Here is a brief summary of the overarching story of scripture, reminding us of the importance of relationships, both human and divine, and our close connection with the earth, depicted in some magnificent devotional art. God created a world that was very good and was designed to have relationships at its heart. This is shown in the very famous depiction of creation by Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. A languid, expectant Adam comes face to face with God. God is fully clothed and in flight, surrounded by angels, and possibly including Eve, in a blowing red cloak. Adam, with the muscularity of a classical statue, is innocent, passive, earthbound, and naked. The two index fingers are just about to touch, and God, with tenderness and precision, imparts the dynamic flow of divine image-making. He places Adam in an abundantly watered garden in the east, lush and verdant, to work it and care for it. And Adam was charged with naming every creature God had formed out of the ground. God fashioned Eve out of Adam's flesh, so that God, man, woman and the earth were all united in intimate relationship. The first act of disobedience diminished those relationships and resulted in death and discord at all levels. In this famous fresco by Masaccio, the expulsion of Adam and Eve from Eden, the intensity of human suffering is expressed in the covering and exposing of face and body. The ground is cursed. Their lives are filled with painful childbearing and toil. There is degradation and despair in Eve's expression. Her mouth is open in a silent wail. 
The rest of the Bible story tells us of God's plans to put things right, starting with God's call to Abram. Here is a 6th century Byzantine manuscript depicting the moment when God promises that Abraham's faith will glorify and transform human destiny and draw everything that he created into a right relationship with him. His offspring will not only be as numerous as the stars, but will be lights upon the earth, the very stars by which humanity will be guided and enlightened. God's plans find their fulfilment in Jesus, Abraham's descendant. This is Fra Angelico's wonderful enunciation which shows expulsion and fulfilment. Jesus came to bring to fulfilment all that Israel was called to be and do, to be a blessing to the nations and draw everything in creation into a right relationship with God. We often talk about the good news of Jesus in terms of salvation exclusively for people. God rescuing us from this earth to live out our final destiny in heaven. But salvation is about rescue for this earth. Heaven is not our final resting place. Our final destiny is an embodied life on this earth, renewed and transformed and united with heaven, as Revelation 21 and 22 tell us. This slide shows a beautiful illuminated metropolis. It's part of a virtual reality installation by a contemporary artist, Michael Tacchio, who seeks to embody the glory and splendour of the new Jerusalem when God's dwelling place will be fully established on this earth. The idea that salvation is exclusively for people has been the predominant Christian view and shows how human-focused our thinking can be. When we look at passages in Romans 8, 19-21, Colossians 1, 15-20 and Ephesians 1, 9-10, I quote these in case some of you would like to look them up, we see that God's plans for salvation are not just for people but include everything that he's made. Colossians 1.19 states explicitly that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to reconcile to himself all things. This is a work by the well-known contemporary artist Anish Kapoor. The nearness of the holy water stoop to the red cloth with a gash reminds us of the legendary cloth used to mop Jesus' face on his way to Golgotha and symbolises the healing, restorative blood Jesus shed on the cross. Some people believe that despite the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, the earth will be destroyed. In other words, our connection with this earth is only temporary. And according to this view, there isn't the incentive for us to care for the earth and protect it as God intended from the beginning. This interpretation is taken primarily from 2 Peter 3.10, the authorised version translates this as the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. More recent translations, for example the NIV UK based on earlier manuscripts, now say that the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The Greek word used gives us the word eureka and has overtones of discovery. In other words, 
when Jesus returns to this earth and the fire of judgment comes, all evil intentions and acts will be exposed. In Noah's day, the world didn't cease to exist. It persisted during and after the flood. It was judged by water and renewed. Thus, the Greek word for new in Revelation 21, 1 and 5 is less about destroying something to make a new thing and more about renewal and transformation. In this vast canvas by another contemporary artist, Anselm Kiefer, horizontal lines of poppies appear in a dazzling array of colours, a rainbow token of God's renewal of the earth. The more we plunder the earth's resources and increase our carbon emissions, the more we diminish that close connection God intended for us to have with him, with one another and with the earth, our final home and resting place. So how do we achieve our target of net zero carbon emissions by 2050? We need to be halfway there by 2030 and to reduce our emissions by 10% a year to achieve that goal. So how can we pull the plug on climate change in terms of our domestic energy use, which accounts for 40% of carbon emissions in the UK, and from road transport, which accounts for around a further 20% of carbon emissions in the UK? The aim is to decarbonise the grid and electrify everything. Sounds like a pipe dream? Well, in the US, experts in the field calculate that they are 70 to 80% on the way to developing the appropriate technologies to achieve this. So why not us? Solar power is the cheapest form of energy, yet how many of us have solar panels in our homes? Andrew and I are currently looking into this. Kingston Council is partnering with a London-wide scheme aiming to tender with a company offering solar panel installations across the borough at a competitive price. If you're interested, go to solartogether.co.uk for more information. Installing a heat pump boiler is the cheapest, most environmentally friendly, energy-efficient method of heating your home and your water. A big initial outlay, but worth looking into if you plan to stay long-term in your current home. Air source heat pumps absorb heat from the outside air to heat your home and hot water. They can still extract heat when air temperatures are as low as minus 15 degrees centigrade. Ground source heat pumps are more efficient than air source, as the ground is warmer than the air in the winter, when we obviously need more heating. But a ground source heat pump is quite a bit more expensive than an air source heat pump and needs excavations in an outdoor space. As for producing daily meals, induction hobs are the most environmentally friendly option. The induction hob directly heats the pan and not the hob surface. Induction hobs consume far less energy per use than gas or electric. We bought one before lockdown and we're really pleased with it and find it's really easy to cook on. They're expensive compared with less environmentally friendly alternatives, but we thought worth the expense and vastly cheaper than an agar. For some of you, going green may seem unattainable right now due to the cost. But what seem like small changes do make a difference to our pockets and the planet. Switch to a renewable energy provider. There are lots of cheap green deals online. Turn down the thermostat by one degree. Most of us have loft insulation, 
but also try and insulate your home against drafts. We like our original 1930s front door, so we're looking into ways of draft-proofing it rather than replacing it with UPVC. An extremely useful aid to monitoring your energy use is a smart meter. We had one installed before lockdown, and it's so helpful to be able to see which appliances use the most energy. Keep it in a prominent place and experiment with switching appliances on and off and see how much energy you save. Even taking your computer off charge when you turn it off makes a difference. I'm sure you all switch off lights, with low energy light bulbs of course, and shut off unheated rooms. But have you thought of turning off the automatic fan in the bathroom? It uses a surprising amount of energy and mostly isn't needed. By far the least environmentally friendly home appliance is the tumble dryer which produces on average a massive 159 kilograms of CO2 a year compared to a washing machine and a dishwasher that produce just 51 kilograms of CO2 a year each. The electric kettle produces on average 74 kilograms of CO2 a year, so more than your washing machine or your dishwasher. So remember to fill it only with the amount of water that you need. We can make a much bigger sustained impact on our lives if we change one small habit at a time over the duration of a year. The cumulative effect of our efforts could see a substantial reduction in our carbon footprint over time. So you've checked your appliance use, reduced your thermostat settings and insulated against drafts. What next? Ideally, we all need to be driving electric cars, but that might not currently be within our budget. If that is the case, use the car as little as possible. Andrew and I are fortunate that we've come to a stage in life when we can afford a second-hand electric car at the lower end of the market. This is ours. We have found that the infrastructure for charging up electric cars is poor and long journeys are broken up with frequent stops at recharging points. This can be especially dispiriting when the only available charging point nearby is out of action or there's a queue of cars in front of you waiting to go on charge. Not only that, you need to install lots of different apps on your phone because the charge points are supplied by lots of different companies, which can add to the frustration of the moment. But if you're committed to that close connection with God's creation that he intended from the beginning, then frustrations during this time of transition to green energy pale into insignificance. So, we're discharging 55 billion tonnes of CO2 into our precious atmosphere every year, treating it like an open sewer. It's a problem that transcends national boundaries. The top 20 largest emitting countries contribute 75% of the total carbon emissions in a year. Carbon pollution has been described as a great inequity machine. Those in the human family who who have contributed least to it will suffer the most. God intended for relationship to be at the heart of his creation. Human destiny is closely interwoven with the earth. Adam was charged with tending and caring for the Garden of Eden. Human frailty caused the ground to be cursed with human toil and pain. Expulsion from the garden was followed by Abrahamic promise and fulfilment. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to reconcile to himself all things, 
the restoration of the relationships that lay at the heart of creation. Our final destiny is an embodied life on this earth, renewed and transformed and united with heaven, as Revelation 21 and 22 tell us. I hope my talk today has given you some, on, uh, some ideas on how we can preserve our close connection with the earth that God intended for us all along. Enjoy your daily activities for reducing your carbon footprint in Energy Week during Lent. And remember Isaiah's words, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And nature's reply, the mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands.